Fellow people, I am so grateful that you're here today. What an honor and a privilege that you've come to see me, your king. It's always exciting to see our disciples come and celebrate the king and his kingdom. Receive my gift today and use it as something that will change your life forever, the gift of holy and kingly water. Let's lift our water up and cheer the king. Long live the king! Okay, that's enough. <laughs> welcome to Journey. Uh, this is how I dress every week. If you're new, a special welcome. Today we're doing a series called The King and His Kingdom, and we're trying to show you what a king would look like and how his herald would speak. We don't understand kingship. Last night, me and my wife were looking up videos going, how would a king pre uh, present to his people? We have no idea. She goes, the first thing she says is, I don't know, I've never been there. We as a society, as Americans, don't realize and comprehend the king and his kingdom. We don't realize that his power, his rule is the end. And you all in the kingdom celebrate the king. In America, if you receive some water from a politician, half of you would throw it away because it's not my group. I don't like that guy. Different uh, political thing. But most of the time, even if it had the presidential seal, we wouldn't keep it because in eight years or four years, he's going to be gone. But if a king gave his, his disciples or his peasants or landowners some water, there's a good chance that they would pass it down and, and keep it and use it as an heirloom. Because we don't understand kingship. Our politicians are to serve the people. We elect them. They are to go into the, their, their job and they are to serve the people. The king's people are to serve him and his kingdom. And that's it. They don't worry about themselves. They bring the best of crops. They bring the, they bring the best things that they have made. And they make the kingdom reign. That's the purpose of the kingdom. Today we have a king Jesus that requires that same kind of obedience. And as we go through this series, King in a Kingdom, we want you to have a visual image of what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Someone that takes all honor and pleasure, and you guys are here to serve him. Our church has made a decision in the last six months to use imagery to teach with the Bible so that we walk out of here and it means more on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday than forgetting it by tonight at 5 o'clock. So as we go through today, I want to talk about the future king that the Bible talks about. Jeremiah 23, 5, our memory verse for the king and his kingdom says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up a righteous descendant from the king's, uh, King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Do you guys realize there's been a lot of bad kings in this world? A couple weeks ago, Jeremy talked about a, a, a man named Hitler that tried to build up a king, and he did all that was evil. There's been a few good kings, but our king, the Bible says, is all wisdom, righteous, and justice for all. And we're going to see that in our scripture today. So to, con kinda con to, to conclude this kingdom, get up here, I need to get this off, it's hot. Let me tell you a little story about the England and how the king works. There was, a, there was a family that had a huge estate with 30 rooms, and they invited a bunch of friends over to their house for the weekend to come and celebrate. And it was a very wealthy family, a very rich family. You'll find them out in a little bit of who they were. Well, the next morning, on a Saturday morning, as everybody went out to play cricket and 
uh, the things that kings do. They chase foxes and stuff. Uh, the kids went to the pool as they normally do because kids love water. Now, the parents were off doing their things and all the kids were in the pool and one of the kids was stuck in the deep end and he drowned. This is a true story. As he was drowning, a gardener that happened to be on the property heard what was happening. He heard the commotion and he heard the kids screaming that their friend was drowning. As they went to go get the parents, the man jumped in and saved the kid. As his parents showed up, they were so beside themselves in gratitude. Thank you for saving my kid. Thank you for saving my son so that he can live a life and he can experience life to the fullest. They said, how can we repay you for saving our son? And the gardener said, well, my son would like to go to college. He has a dream to become the greatest physician in all the land. And the family was very wealthy and they said, absolutely, we'll pay for everything. Now, this kid happens to be Winston Churchill, and he was saved as a young boy from a drowning, uh, drowning in the pool from a gardener. Now, several years later, as he became prime minister, the king was so beside himself because Churchill had received pneumonia, and he was on his deathbed. And they thought, how are we ever going to save him? So the king called the greatest physician in all the land. His name was Sir Alexander Fleming. And Fleming was the guy that invented penicillin, and he ultimately brought healing into Winston Churchill's life. Now, here's what Churchill said, because this guy happened to be the gardener's son. Here's what Churchill said. He says, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. And we have that same image in God for who he is. God gave us life, and his son gives us eternal life and brings us to a place of redemption. And now I'm going to take this stuff off and get rid of my kingly garb and get back to my normal everyday self. Jesus, the great physician, brings us into that reality, into that place of redemption, and we're grateful to have him in our life. And hopefully that's what you came here for. As we continue on this series called The King and His Kingdom, we want to talk about living a life of redemption. Living a redeemed life for the king. Now, everybody received a water, right? Lift up your water again. Hopefully at some point, if you heard something about the first message at the end, we have a powerful thing that's going to happen at the end. But on this bottle of water, there's this thing called CRV. It's called the California Redemption Value. Now, if you Google that today, you will find there's this big controversy going on, and most of you don't even realize it. But here's what CRV stands for, California Redemption Value. That's the five cents you pay when you get a bottle of water, right? Have you guys ever heard of the California Refund Value? Because it's the same acronym, but it's something completely different. But that's what you receive when you turn in the water bottles. Do you know that it's different? When you take 24 bottles and you turn them in and they weigh them, They'll give you 98 cents, but you would actually are supposed to receive $1.20. The redemption value and the refund value are different, and there's this big conspiracy, and there's a way to get around it if you want to go online, 50 bottles or less, and you have them count them. That's not really why I'm here today. <laughs> what I'm here today is to talk to you about this word CRV, and I want to change the definition for you. 
We drink water and sodas all day long, and every time you see the word CRV, I hope today you will transform what that means in your mind. I want it to mean Christ's redemption value. I want you to walk out of here with a better understanding of Christ and how he redeems us all and how he brings us to his throne room because of that redemption. He'll never shortchange you. He'll never undercut you. And he will treat all of us the same with great love, great mercy, and amazing grace that transforms our life. Christ's redemption value is this. To be redeemed is to be forgiven, to be justified, free, adopted, reconciled with God, and ultimately holy. Last week we talked about set apart. That china that's in the cabinet set apart. When we experience this redemption, we are set apart, holy, free, adopted, and as close to Jesus as we possibly can be. Today, what I want to do is I want to go through a, a psalm in the Bible. It's Psalm 107. If you have your Bible, open it up. If not, we're going to read it, and most of it's on that green sheet. This is from the Common English uh, Bible. It's, it's a different translation than some, but it's something that we use a lot here. But here's the interesting thing about this psalm. This is the beginning of book five. There's five books of psalms. This is from 107 to 150, and most of these psalms in the final book are songs of praise. In this psalm, you see basically the psalmist writing about redemption or deliverance. The Israelites are being delivered and exiled from Babylon, and they're brought back into Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of things that they mean by but deliverance, but today we're going to see it read as redemption. So some of the translations say deliverance. Some of them say redemption. And in this psalm, it's written just like a sermon, so I almost don't even really need to preach. I just need to open up the Word and read it. It's pretty powerful. And you're going to see that, that it has great imagery, and it will, at the end of the message, show us a better understanding of redemption. So if you're able to stand at this church, we try and stand to revere the Word of God. If you can stand, we'd like to open up God's Word and use it for God's glory. Here's the beginning of the sermon. It says this, give thanks to the Lord because he, because he is good, because his faithful la love lasts forever. That is what those who are redeemed by the Lord say. The ones God redeemed from the power of their enemies. The one God gathered from the various countries. From east and west, north and south, that's our redeeming Lord. And today what I want to do is I want to pray. And I ask you to pray as well. That you will open up your heart and you will hear God's voice. And that you will hear him call you and ask you to come and be redeemed by him once and for all. There should never be a question. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray as we pray every week for you to speak. For you to move and take all the distractions of the world. All that's happened in the parking lot or at home today, remove that. So that we can hear clearly. Lord, enhance our salvation experience and bring new life into the kingdom. Lord, bring us a revelation, a direct oracle from your mouth that will seek into our heart so that we hear you and understand you. And Lord, begin or move or finish a transformation by renewing our mind and soul, by listening to your word and coming together in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today we're going to talk about redemption, and we're going to look at Psalm 104, or 107. There's 43 verses here, and I, read, I really need to get through 32 of them, 
to make this work. And the truth is, I don't know if you guys all know this, but I'm very transparent. I have a slight dyslexia. And so for me to read 32 verses in front of you is a little hard. You know, I'm not like Jeremy who gets up and he's like this kindergarten teacher, like his sister Madison, and reads these beautiful flowery things. So uh, basically, we're going to go through this, but I have to do it because it really teaches us the concept of redemption. There's four images in this story that really help us better understand redemption. There's wanderers, there's prisoners, they're sick due to sin, and there are people overwhelmed by circumstances. As we read through this, these four things are going to be highlighted, and these imageries are going to help us understand CRV better, Christ's redemption value. So let's just pick up and start reading today, or start with the wanderer. Some of the redeemed had wandered into the desert, into the wasteland. They couldn't find their way to a city or town. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives were slipping away. And here's what they did. So they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God delivered them from their desperate circumstances. God led them straight to human habitation. And here's what he wants, the psalmist writes. Let them thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people. Because God satisfied the one who was parched with thirst, and he filled up the hungry with good things. Here we see God speaking and giving us an imagery of the wanderer, someone who is lost, who can't even find a city or town. Think about that. Even back in the day, a town or a city in Jerusalem or Israel was lit, and you could see it. But they were struggling to get there because the things in their mind and the way that they were living their life, they couldn't even find a city or town, meaning they couldn't find community to help them grow in their faith and in their life. They're wandering to and fro and don't know how to find Jesus and don't know how to find faith. They're lost and basically apart from God because God is true north and he points us in the right direction. Wandering and they probably don't even know they're lost. One of the worst things to know about being lost is not even realizing that you're lost. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example so that you understand. A grandma takes her two kids to Disneyland. She's got a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy, and she goes to Disneyland to take the kids. Now, as she walks in, she buys them these little banners that they're waving, and they're super excited. Yay, Mickey. Right? And at 12 o'clock down Main Street... The, the, the band is playing and they're marching and they've got all these dancers and the kids are waving their flag and dancing. And now as the parade goes by and it ends in their section, Grandma goes, come on, boys, let's go. And she looks down and there's only one boy. Now the grandma's now frantic. She's like, where is my baby? Is he ever going to find? His mother and father are going to kill me. And she starts going to this deep panic. And it's not a joke at all. She is mortified because there's thousands of people. Was he taken? Is he just lost? Is he hurt? What happened? And so he's lost. And all of a sudden, Grandma looks to the left as she looks behind, and the band's about 30 or 40 feet away, and the little kid's behind the band with his flag like this. <laughs> he thinks he's a part of the band. He doesn't even know he's lost. But Grandma's pr uh, frantic. That's how we are in life sometimes. We think we're following the right band, and the truth is we're really lost. And that's what God does when he redeems us. He points us true north and allows, uh, allows us to walk away from old and into the new. Amen? 
The second image that we have are prisoners. Now, the, 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 the psalm kind of changes, but here's the analogy. Let's read it. Like I said, th- this sermon just kind of unfolds just by reading this text. It's some of the redeemed had been sitting in darkness and deep gloom. They were prisoners suffering in chains because they had disobeyed God's instruction. They rejected the Most High's plans. So God humbled them with hard work. They stumbled and there was no one to help them. And so here's what he did. Here's what they did. So they cried out to the Lord in their distress and God saved them from their desperate uh, circumstances. God brought them out of darkness and deep gloom and he shattered their chains. Here's what the psalmist writes they should do. Let them thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people because God has shattered the bronze doors and split the iron bars in two. Here we see prisoners. They're locked in their own mind or in their own place. Usually when we talk about prisoners in, in, in the Bible, they're not necessarily physically locked up. They are sometimes, but a lot of times it's a spiritual rendition. Here in church, in our country, and in our world, there's a lot of us that are physically locked up. And we refuse to follow the will of God. Darkness and gloom has stuck in our lives and we can't move. We're stuck in this place. And basically the reason why we're stuck is we're shunning God's direction, God's word. And we're being disobedient even when we know it's true. Obedience brings us to the glory room of God. Disobedience brings us to the places of prison. I know that personally. And God says to all of his people, follow me and you will have a life far greater than you ever know. Don't follow me and you will be locked in prisons and you will never be able to get out unless someone receive, uh, relieves you and brings you redemption. Our society today thinks we're so smart. Our society thinks we're small. Why do you think they call them smartphones? To think that you're smart. But the truth is, unless it's a Bible app and it's preaching at you, a lot of the stuff we're getting out of this is stupid. Our wisdom, our mindset in our society today says, that old Bible crap's 2,000 years old. 3,000 years old, it's 3,500. We don't want to hear from Moses. Who is he? And Jesus, did he really live? Even though there's all kinds of proof that he walked and lived, people can't even believe he lived because they're so deranged in their false teaching. And they're stuck in this prison. You know, sin is very deceptive in the way that we look at sin and how it imprisons us. Sin is very deceptive. It feels good. It seems good. Let me try it. Let me taste it. And let me see what happens. And then we don't realize that we're actually locked and stuck in this sinful place. Let me give you an example of what that would look like. A man or a woman is in the desert and they're thirsty. They haven't drank for 12 or 13 hours. The sun is beating down on them. And they come to the only place of water and they've got no choice but to drink. So they get down on their hands and knees and they're drinking as much water But the truth is, the water's been stagnant. It's amoebic. And it's got dysentery. So they start drinking it like like sin is. It's, oh, this is good. It's quenching my thirst for a little bit. But a little bit later, you're near death. Because it's it's got stuff inside of it. That's what sin does to our body. It keeps us in prison. It keeps us locked into our old ways. But Christ wants to redeem us and break us out of that 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 sinful lifestyle, that prison that we're in. Here's the third part 
It talks about sick. Different sick than what you might think. Sick due to sin. Let's read it and see what it says. Some of the redeemed were fools because of their sinful ways. They suffered because of their wickedness. They absolutely had no appetite for food. They had arrived at death's gate. So here's what they did. They cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God saved them from their desperate circumstances. God gave the order and healed them, and he rescued them from their pit. The psalmist writes, let them thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people. Let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and declare what God has done in songs of joy. These people are sick, but they're not sick because of sin. I mean, they're sick because of sin, but not all people that are sick are because of sin. A couple weeks ago, we talked about spiritual blindness, and a guy was born blind. It wasn't because of sin. That was to show God's power. But some of us who choose to live a lifestyle of addiction, chaos, confusion, the way that we mutilate our bodies, those things hinder us and they bring us to a place of sickness. He calls them fools and wicked. They don't have an appetite because they're doing something and, and they're hurting themselves. My, I have a couple of, uh, my, my dad and my grandpa told me, take care of your body because when you're 60, 70, and 80, you want it to be working as best as you can. One of my last conversations with my grandfather at 91 was, Jeff, work your calves out. <laughs> and my poor grandpa could only take like 12 steps and they had to sit. So you should see my calves. <laughs> that wasn't part of the sermon, by the way. So. People are sick due to, due to our sin. Think about the sin that you have in your life that affects your mind, body, and soul that leads you to a place of unhealthiness. That's what we're talking about here. That leads us to a place of unhealthiness. All sickness obviously doesn't cause sin, but the sickness that we have in sin really can bring us to an unholy, unhealthy place. The psalmist tells them they're fools, they're wicked, and they need Jesus, they need to follow Jesus and experience him for who he truly is. But if we don't, it's a funny thing about God. Probably upsets people the most as he allows us to come to that death's gate, that place of despair, we call it rock bottom in this church where we stop digging and we start calling upon the Lord. Anybody know uh, the Lord's phone number? Here's some homework for you. You guys want the Lord's phone number? Jeremiah 33.3. Read that tonight and then text me and tell me how cool that is. I was told to me when I was locked up many years ago. That's the Lord's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. And uh, I'm not even gonna tell you what it says. Just look it up and it's powerful. But the Lord allows us to come to rock bottom because our psalmist says, when they cry out to the Lord, he delivers. He's a redeemer. He's the one that gives all value. He brings people out of sickness and into health. He brings broken marriages and broken people and broken finances and broken souls and broken emotions. And he redeems them and heals them so that you and I can be a better individual for the kingdom of God. Not for yourself, but for the kingdom of God. God allows despair. Here's the final piece of the imagery today. And this is my favorite part because he talks about being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by your circumstance. Listen to what it says. Some of the redeemed had gone out on the ocean in ships making their living on the high seas. 
They saw what the Lord had made. They saw his wondrous works in the depths of the sea. God spoke and stirred up a storm, and he brought the waves up high. The waves went as high as the sky and crashed down to the depths. The sailors' courage melted at this terrible situation. They staggered and stumbled around like they were drunk. None of their skills was of any help. And so here's what they did. They cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God brought them out, uh, brought them out safe from their desperate circumstances. God quieted the storm to a whisper. The sea's waves were hushed, and they rejoiced because the waves had calmed down. And then God led them into the harbor where they were hoping for. Let them thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people. Let them exalt God in the congregation of people and praise God in the assembly of the elders. In this final image, these people were professional. This is what they did for a living. They were sailors and they were going out doing their normal job. And all of a sudden, circumstances overwhelmed them. Now, I don't know about you, but the sea is big. There's been this lie that's going around recently. I'm not very seaworthy, right? So a lot of people are like, oh, Jeff, you'll love a cruise. These big boats today are so huge, you'll never feel the sea. I'm like, come on. They said that about the Titanic. <laughs> I don't care how big a boat you make. When the sea's mad, it's ugly out there. And here we see great sailors, professional sailors, know and been upon the sea, been in storms, been in hurricanes, and they are now to a place where it's, they're being tossed around and they're scared. They've lost hope, and all they can do is cry out for the Lord. Now, they're not doing this because they've done anything wrong here. In our life as Christians, there's sometimes where circumstances come into our life which we have no control and it takes away our, our hope and takes away our bearings and we get lost and wander and we're locked up in prison and, and truthfully, we just need to turn it over and ask God to come in and watch him heal and bless and redeem us for his glory. These sailors were pros. They had the ability to handle anything, and even in that situation, it was too much. Life brings circumstances to us sometimes that are too big for our life, and the only person and the only place we should be going to is upward, to God, and listen and watch him move and heal. The images of God's redemption here are so different, but the thing that's beautiful about this it's the same response to all people. When they cry out to the Lord, he shows up and removes them out of that desperate situation. And then he says, then you are to cry out to the Lord and thank him for all that he's done for his wonderful people, all the people, all the time. His redemption is equal to all of us. Two of these redemption uh, stories, like the, the wanderer and the, the over, overcome or overwhelmed, they really didn't do anything wrong. They just have their circumstances kind of come over into their life, and, and, and that's what caused them to be separated from God. But the middle two, sickness due to sin and prisoners, that's because of rebellion. But these image, in, images show us that no matter where we're at, something that's caused by us or something that's caused by others, we still can be redeemed by God. The same way. 
and have that same experience. The psalmist continues to say to us, God can bring down the self-sufficient and he can bring up anybody from the darkest of depths. At the very close, the next 12 verses, I don't have time to get into, but here's what he says, and here's some homework. Go read the last part of this psalm. You see him talk about going from plenty to poverty and poverty to plenty. Let me just read a little bit so that you can understand what I'm talking about. But I challenge you to read this whole psalm together. Here's what it says. God turns the river into a desert, watery springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into unproductive dirt when its inhabitants are wicked. That's plenty to poverty. And here's what it says in the second. God can turn the desert into watery pools, thirsty ground into watery springs where he settles the hungry and they can even build a city there. And then he can turn poverty into plenty. These images show us that no matter if you're in poverty or in plenty, God can come in and change the circumstances for good or for worse. To receive God's help, to receive redemption, you have to come to the end of your line. You have to come to rock bottom. You have to come to the place where you no longer exist. You pick up his cross, you pick up your cross, and you claim Jesus, and you start walking through it. Relational problems, financial problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, you come to the end of yourself, and if you turn upward, the Bible tells us that there's great redemption because of that. If you turn outward and to friends and the internet, good luck. Good luck. To be redeemed, we've got to look heavenly, and we've got to think heavenly, and we've got to believe that out of poverty, he can make this into a watery spring. And you have to realize, in your plenty, he can take it away in a heartbeat. Our redemption is powerful. Our redemption is what we want. Our CRV is worth so much more. Redemption value to be redeemed is to be forgiven, justified, free, adopted, reconciled, and learn to be holy. That's what it means to be redeemed. Our redemption was sent to us, it was obtained by us, and it is known by us, and it will come to us in the future. The Bible tells us each one of those places are part of our redemption. Psalm 111 says, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. It's coming. It has been sent and Jesus has come to the world and now we get to experience that redemption. It's obtained with his own blood, Hebrews 9, 12. Not the blood of goats or calves. He entered the most high place once and for all and secured our redemption. He became our CRV. It is known to us today. This isn't old time Christianity. This is about today. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, and he's our redemption. And finally, this is a future thing. At one point, he is going to come and he's going to change our life. He's going to change our being and change our body. And we are going to be fully redeemed away from this earth and into a heavenly being. 
Romans 8.23 says, We wait eagerly for the adoption of our sons and daughters and the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly for that. Those that are on earth that are in love with Jesus are eagerly waiting for that. Those that are stuck and wandering and lost and are sick in sin, don't focus on that at all. This isn't a new believer message, folks. This is a message for all of us. Where are we at? Some of us have circumstances that are struggling. And I want to close with this one story, and I've got to make sure I get this in because it makes the message really have impact. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something with that water bottle. There was a man that was marooned on an island, something similar to this. Oh, no, that's Jeremy playing volleyball, by the way. I think that's last year's passion play situation. But There's a man on an island, and he's marooned, and he's stuck there for weeks, and he's hoping to get out. He's built a shelter. He's put SOS in big rocks on the beach, and right next to a shelter, he's built an SOS fire, and all day long, he's waiting for the ship to come. All day long, he's waiting for that ship to come so he can light his fire and so that he can be redeemed and saved. One day, as he's laying in his shelter, he sees a ship, and he runs to the fire pit, and he grabs a little charcoal, and it's barely going, and he puts it into the fire, and he starts fanning the flames. He starts adding more fuel and more fuel because the ship's moving, and his fire's not really going, and he's stressing out. The ship's going. And it's going and his fire barely is moving. And finally, as his fire is raging, ready to cook some good prime steaks on it, the ship is moved and it no longer can see the fire. And all of a sudden he turns around and this huge fire has now leaped onto a shelter. And he's looking at his shelter and it's going up in flames and he cries out to God, why? Why me? I can't go another day like this. I'm not going to make it. And all of a sudden, he hears a horn. And he sees a ship flashing SOS, and it's found its way back. And as he gets to the ship, he asks the captain, what happened? And he's like, man, when you lit your shelter on fire, we could see that, it was, uh, that we could see there was a lot of smoke and that you needed help. A lot of us look at our problems just like the marooned man. That there's no hope and everything that happens is the worst thing ever. And the truth is, God is saying, I'm burning your shelter so I can redeem you. And so I can bring you into a place of wholeness. And that you can be minister and ministry to this world. God has to light our shelters on fire sometimes. I know he did for me. And I would never change a minute of it. It was the darkest place but it's the greatest place I've ever been. And that's what he wants. We no longer are marooned in Jesus Christ. Here's the deal today. I gave you a thing of water, and if you drank it, you're probably going to hell. It wasn't a free gift to drink. It was a gift that if you feel redeemed today, if you are so solid in your faith, come up right now and start putting your thing on the stage and say, I'm redeemed. If you feel comfortable enough to believe in your redemption in the Lord, I pray that you will come up right now and you will allow this moment 
for God to speak and say, I am redeemed in Jesus Christ. I am right with him. I come to you, Lord, and accept my redemption. I believe that you are all-powerful. I believe that you are worthy. I believe that you are going to redeem me. You are going to bring help and holiness. Lord, we bring all these waters to your name. We believe that you are our CRV. Christ holds all things together. Christ holds our lives together. He is our redemption. He is our hope. He is speaking to us personally today. We no longer need to be away and alone and, and, di and distant from God. We don't need to be prisoners. We don't need to be lost. If you're overcome by your circumstances, come up and bring your redemption before the Lord and let him move and do a great work in you. Let him burn your shelter down. Learn to trust in him. Thanks, bro. As we come before the Father today, as we get ready to sing a song, just realize this redemption is real, it's true, and it should forever change the way that you think. That CRV is no longer California redemption. It's Christ Jesus, and he has redeemed and redempted you. You might be not making it here. Don't hold on to your bottle and let it turn to trash. Let your redemption come before the Lord and trust in him. So grateful that you're here and that you got an opportunity to come and feel a message of redemption. At some point when the prayer team comes up, if you need prayer, let the prayer come in. So today let's pray. Father, we come to you. All of these bottles, some empty, some full, some whole, some broken. They come to you seeking redemption. Lord, sow it upon our heart and soul and let us never forget Christ's redemption value to us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't understand his redemption, the first thing you should do is accept him as your Lord and Savior. Bring him into your heart and watch him do a work that will radically transform you. That's you today. We say a prayer of salvation and that brings you across the threshold and into the kingdom. That's you. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And redeem me once and for all. I know that I'm a sinner, Lord. And I know that the Bible says you have died and you rose again for me. I accept that. Even if I don't understand it. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit now. Show me how to live a redeemed life for your kingdom. Let me be a blessing so that I can be a blessing to you, Father. We claim this in Jesus' name. Amen.